We are on part 11 in our study of Ezekiel, or yeah, my ramblings in Ezekiel anyhow. So we're in Ezekiel chapter 17 this morning. If you can turn there in your Bibles, we'll get started there in just a minute. And I want to reset a little bit just to make sure that we're all on the same page as far as where we're at in the historical context there were three sieges of Jerusalem by Babylon. The first one taking place in 605 B.C., which, at which time Daniel was taken to Babylon. Then there was a, a second siege uh, in about 598, 597 B.C., uh, which is when the prophet Ezekiel and others were taken. The don't really know how many... Uh, Scholars seem to think that about 10,000 people were taken from Babylon or from Jerusalem into Babylon. And these people were kind of the cream of the crop, the, the intelligentsia or the political influencers and that type of thing. So these were, were people that were taken in order to groom, in order to influence uh, those left behind. So Ezekiel was one of those, and while there, he saw visions, and, and he recorded these visions as commanded by God, and that is the book of Ezekiel that we have in front of us. We are in chapter 17, which is part of the oracles uh, of Ezekiel. Now, I want to show the map that we've seen before, because it's important for us in this lesson, to understand some of the major players involved politically in the world at this point. Now, Babylonia is, is in the central part of this picture, and Babylon and the area just south and east of Babylon is where Ezekiel and the exiles were taken to around the river Kibar. The other players here are Egypt and Assyria. And these three powers were the powers of the day. And one of the reasons why Nebuchadnezzar wasn't really concentrated on Jerusalem full-time was because he was still having problems with his neighbors, too. Assyria was an influence. Egypt was an influence. In fact, the two of them had teamed up against Babylon uh, early in this period, this 15, 20-year period of history that we're talking about here. And they had fought together, and Babylon defeated the Assyrians and the Egyptians. So they would kind of went back to their, their homelands and, and were recovering there. So this kind of sets the stage for where we're at. Now, chapter 17, which is where we're at, if you can turn there, we're going to be there quite a bit today. Uh, chapter 17 starts with a riddle. Uh, chapter 17, verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, propound a riddle, and speak a parable to the house of Israel. So we're going to be talking about this riddle or this and this parable as we go through today. So riddles uh, were present in, in many parts of the Bible, here in Ezekiel, of course, we see this. Now, we recognize riddles. Uh, I've got a couple for you. 
Um, why couldn't Noah catch many fish? I gave this one to Alessandra yesterday, and she got kind of close to the answer, but she didn't quite get it, so I told her she had to wait till today. Why didn't Noah catch many fish? Anybody know? He only had two what? He only had two worms. So where was the first tennis match mentioned in the Bible? This is kind of a gimme. <laughs> I'm saying that and nobody will get it. I didn't get it. Where was the first tennis match mentioned in the Bible? Here's a hint that's in Genesis. When Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. Oh, yeah. Why couldn't they play cards on on the ark? Why couldn't Noah and the and the family play cards on the ark? What's that? <laughs> We're Baptists. Okay. Because Noah was standing on the deck. So, so what is a riddle? A riddle, according to uh, Merriam-Webster, is a mystifying, misleading, or puzzling question posed as a problem to be solved or guessed. That's a riddle. Why have I duplicated this slide? Sorry about that. So that's a riddle. And a parable is an unusually short, a usually short, fictitious story that illustrates some sort of moral attitude or religious principle. So that's par that's the difference between, there's a difference, it's a shade of a difference perhaps, uh, between a parable and a, and a riddle. And I have one more riddle for you. What excuse did Adam give his children as to why they no longer lived in Eden? Nobody? <laughs> well, it was because your mother ate us out of house and home. So I'm going to give up on that for a while. Let's, let's keep, <laughs> keep your Bibles open to Ezekiel 17. We'll get back to it. Let's open our study with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the time that you give us to gather together to share uh, information and shared study time in your word. We thank you for the book of Ezekiel and what it teaches us about history, number one. Number two, about your love for the Israel people and your concern and your care for them. And though they needed and deserved the discipline that you meted out, we understand that you also saved a remnant uh, so that your purposes through the nation of Israel could be carried out in the world. Uh, we're grateful for this time together. Help us to encourage one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. No more riddles, I promise. Ezekiel 7, verses 1 through 2. 1 and 2 say, again, and I read it already. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, profound a riddle. And speak a parable to the house of Israel. Uh, the house of Israel here, again, 
you know, we know that there was the Israelites and the, uh, Israel and Judah were two different divisions of the nation of Israel. Uh, but here, the the house of Israel still refers to uh, the entirety of, of the Jewish people, especially those who who live and reside in Jerusalem, uh, because all the attention pretty much through this book is, is centered on, on Jerusalem. Um, so, so this this message is being given to the house of Israel as a whole, the whole nation. Um, the parable that that we're given here describes the period of time and, and going back, I, do I have another history? I don't. But going back to our history chart, let me run back for a minute. One more. There we are. So in our history chart, we're in that period between the second and third uh, invasions or, or sieges of the city of Jerusalem. And what's... Yeah, this, so the parable that we read about here in, in chapter 17 is referring to the kings of Israel that, that were alive at this time. And the king, I'm going to skip back through here a little bit until I get to the right place. Uh, the king of Israel that, that was, well, who was the king of Babylon at this time? Nebuchadnezzar. I mentioned that already. Who was the king of Israel, the king of Jerusalem? Anybody? Zedekiah. Uh, and Zedekiah was an uncle to the previous king who was Jehoiachin. The previous king to that was uh, Jehoiakim. And prior to that was another one of their brothers. Jehoiachin, Jehoiakim were brothers. Uh, Zedekiah was an uncle and their father, Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin's father was Josiah, who was the last good king of Israel. Uh, Jehoiakim, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let me quit doing that. We're going to talk about these guys in a little bit so that we make sure that we understand completely who we're talking about here. But this parable that that God gave to Ezekiel here is this, thus says the Lord God, a great eagle with great wings, long pinions and a full plumage of many colors came to Lebanon and took away the top of a cedar. He plucked off the topmost of its young twigs and brought it to a land of merchants. He set it in a city of, trader, of traders. He also took some of the seed of the land and planted it in fertile soil. He placed it beside abundant waters, and he set it like a willow. Then it sprouted and became a low-spreading vine with its branches turned toward him. But its roots remained under it, so it became a vine and yielded shoots and sent out branches. So this parable concerns a large and majestic eagle. Now, 
we understand that this is a figurative, that this is a parable. Uh, it's identified as a parable. So, you know, we're not really talking about eagles and trees here. We're talking about real, polit- real events of this time. And, and the eagle represents something. The tree represents something. So, you know, we, we, the, and the first thing we talk about here is an eagle. Uh, now, it's interesting. I, I did want to include some pictures today. Uh, so I, I thought, wow, you know, surely there's some art uh, depicting Ezekiel's eagles. So I did some searches for, for pictures of eagles. I did find a picture of an eagle, uh, rather majestic. This isn't necessarily Ezekiel's eagles. But when I, when I did my search for Ezekiel's eagles, uh, the first three pages of pictures that came up on my computer was this guy. <laughs> uh, that's Ezekiel Elliott, who was cut earlier this year for the Dallas Cowboys. And all spring, one of the rumors is is that he was going to become a Philadelphia Eagle. But that's not the Ezekiel's Eagles that we're talking about today. So we'll go back to to our Eagles. Uh, Eagles have been, were used to describe uh, many things in the Bibles, uh, in our Bible. Uh, In Deuteronomy uh, you know, and many times in the Old Testament, an eagle was used uh, to illustrate something, uh, especially God's punitive power. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 49, it says, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as an eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you do not understand, uh, depicting the speed at which God would come and conquer. Uh, you know, an eagle is, is a hunter and flies uh, up in the sky and swoops down and captures its prey, hopefully unawares. Uh, So it moves with great speed and great stealth uh, to come when you least expect it. it. Also in Isaiah 46, 11, it says, Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country, truly I have spoken it, and truly I will bring it to pass. You know, a bird of prey from the east. Again, this, this illustration of an eagle. And in Jeremiah 48, verse 40, it says, For thus says the Lord, Behold, one will fly swiftly like an eagle and spread out his wings upon, against Moab. And in Jeremiah 49, 22, Behold, he will mount up and swoop like an eagle and is spread like an eagle, and spread out his wings against Boaz. And the hearts of the mighty men of Edom in that day will be like the heart of a a woman in labor. So this illustration of an eagle isn't a strange one in, in, uh, in biblical writing. Now let me skip past Ezekiel Elliott again. And in continue on in, in our in our interpreting our parable so this great eagle um, it, in this 
parable, a great eagle flies to the country of Lebanon, which is famous for its cedar trees. Uh, and here the eagle breaks off the top of a cedar tree and carries it away to another land where the eagle plants it. Then the eagle spread, gets some seed from your land, and, and, and God is, you know, here again talking about uh, Israel. So, so taking some seed from Israel carries it away to another land. Um, Ezekiel is talking to his fellow Jews living in exile with him right there in Babylon, but their homeland is, is in Canaan, in Palestine, in the land of Israel. So the eagle scoops up seed from Israel, planting it in the fertile soil, uh, and then the vine grows uh, this fertile soil with abundant water, as we see in verse 6, is is an ideal place for the seed to grow. So it's taken to a very beneficial place for the seed, and it grows and grows quickly. The vine grows, turning its branches towards him. Who's the him? Uh, the eagle. We haven't defined who it is yet. I'm keeping that under my hat for a few minutes. Uh, the vine's roots also stay under the eagle. So the, the, the illustration here is that, you know, this, the seed that's taken from their native land is growing well and, and the, the uh, place where they're growing is, but is still under, under the influence of the eagle who we'll identify here in a minute. So, in verses 7 and 8, another eagle appears, and things start to change a little bit. The, the, the vine that's growing from the seed uh, sends its roots out toward the new eagle, seeking water from the new eagle. Um, and here, if we look in verse 8 especially, uh, it was planted in good soil beside abundant water so that it might yield branches and bear fruit and become a splendid vine. So it was planted in the right place. Uh, but the, the appearance of the second eagle causes this vine uh, to go in a different direction, even though where it was, was a good place for it. So, what's the illustration here? And, and there are four elements here. Uh, the first eagle, uh, the second eagle, the branch from the, the cedar, and the, and, the, and the seed. So as we go through this, it's important to understand what each of these represents. So we'll start out with the first eagle. Uh, the first eagle, it's almost obvious. Who's the first eagle? Anybody want to take a guess? Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar out of Babylon. And, and what did he do? Uh, the second illustration... Uh, is of the cedar of Lebanon. Uh, there are lots of pictures of cedars. <laughs> I picked this one because it was kind of in a mountainous area and, and big, tall cedar tree. So the, the, the parable talks about taking a choice branch out of the top of the cedar tree and planting it in another place. So what does the cedar of Lebanon represent? And I'm going to give you a clue here because we are talking about individuals. 
we're talking about individuals. <laughs> and that, you know, I've read several different books on the, or discussions on this, and, and they all came to the same conclusion. Um, this, the topmost young twig and brought it to a land of merchants and set it in a city of traders. And this is kind of giving us a clue here. Uh, who do we think we're talking about here? Anybody? You guys have done so well so far. And here I'm going to say that this this branch in the top of the cedar uh, is the king of Israel at the time of the second invasion, which would have been Jehoiachin, uh, was taken. He'd only been king for like three months uh, before the the end of the siege. His brother had died uh, during the early parts of that second siege. Uh, so he became, Jehoiachin became king when Jehoiakim passed away. And uh, Jehoiachin was taken by Nebuchadnezzar from Jerusalem, taken to Babylon, and again, planted in a city of traders, which described Babylon at the time, was a center of, of economic trade in the area. So this young twig, which I'm identifying as Jehoiachin, uh, is the, the, was exiled to Babylon at the same time as Ezekiel. So, again, I, I, I want to make sure that we understand who these kings were. And I found this chart that I found fairly helpful. These are the last five kings of Judah. And Josiah, as I mentioned up here, uh, was the last good king of Israel. He was credited with getting rid of a lot of the idol worship and, and everything, but once he died, uh, the the nation and city reverted back very much to its its worship of idols. Jehoabaz, uh, did I say that right? Jehoaz only served for three, as king for three months, and then he was replaced by his brother Jehoiakim. Uh, and then... Jehoiakim ruled for 11 years and he died in Jerusalem during the second siege and then he was replaced by Jehoiachin who served for three months as king before the fall of Jerusalem and then he was exiled to Babylon and then their uncle Zedekiah was put in place was set up as as king in Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. And Jehoiachin was still living in exile uh, during all the time of that, uh, between the second and third siege. So these are the kings that we're talking about here. So after the second, after Jehoiachin was taken to Babylon, Zedekiah was set up by Nebuchadnezzar to be a puppet uh, in Jerusalem. And it says in the Bible, and if you read through the Chronicles and Kings re reports, um, Nebuchadnezzar made a covenant with the king Zedekiah. You know, if you remain loyal to me, I will give you protection. We've got a lot of your uh, 
leaders, etc., and and we're trying to teach them things. We're learning things from them. We're doing this intellectual exchange with them. Everything will be hunky dory. You just sit tight and and be a good boy, and you can be king. Um, and he, yeah, I've got another chart. I did a little bit more with my colors and maps. So here. I'm kind of showing where these kings were. Uh, first, Josiah, which was before any of the sieges, uh, and he was replaced by his son who only served for three months. I don't have him on here. But the second king was Jehoiakim, uh, who served for about 11 years until just before the second siege was over uh, when Jehoiachin uh, was made king and served. And I show him going to the end of the third siege because as, as we saw last time in our last lesson, uh, Ezekiel understood that Jehoiachin was still there and didn't treat Zedekiah like king. And I think there was a lot of, probably a lot of the exiles felt the same way, that Zedekiah was set up as a puppet king by their enemy, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who had taken them captive, who had placed them into exile. And the only reason that Jehoiachin uh, was not recognized as king was because of, of Nebuchadnezzar. And Ezekiel referred to this last king, Nebuchadnezzar, or Zedekiah, as the prince of <laughs> Jerusalem, not the king. So he was given a title by the people that was different than the position he claimed. So uh, I think that's an important thing to remember. So going back to our, our tree, the cedar of Lebanon represents uh, Jehoiachin, the king of Jerusalem, who was exiled to Babylon at the same time as Ezekiel. So the next question is, you know, when, when they talked about this creeping vine, uh, this, uh, this is juniper. <laughs> I spent the last couple of weekends <laughs> removing a lot of this from, from my, uh, the flower beds in front of our house. And I'm, I'm still sore because of it, but we won't go into that. So the, this vine spreads low to the ground. Uh, it's kept low by its characteristics and its character. And the vision I had of the vine that they're talking about here was this. You know, it's not going to get real tall. It's not going to be a, a tall bush. It's just real short, stays close to the ground, and, you know, isn't really good for much unless you like it. And I understand some people like visually this. I, we didn't so much, so that's why it's gone. Um, so this you know, verse verse 5 and 6 says that some of the seed of the land was taken and planted and he placed it beside abundant waters and set it like a willow. In verse 6, then it sprouted and became a low-spreading vine with its branches turned, to, turned towards him, but its roots remained under it. So it became a very, it became a vine and yielded shoots and sent out branches. But you notice in this description, it says nothing of fruit. Nothing of fruit. Again, it's not a fruitful vine. I wanted to bring that 
picture of the uh, grapevine in with all the fruit on it, but that's not the picture that's being painted here. It's just a low, low vine that no mention of fruit. So what is... Uh, But, you know, in this, this vine, I think, represents that, that group of individuals that was taken out of, out of Israel. And, and actually, the individual that, that this represents, I think, is, is uh, Zedekiah. Um, because, as we'll see here, the way this plays out, uh, when, when it describes these branches looking towards the second eagle that comes, uh, we'll, we'll see that that's the case. So if we continue on, you know, again, looking at Ezekiel 17, verses 7 and 8, there was another great eagle with great wings and much plumage, and behold, this vine, this low being suppressed close to the ground vine, bent its roots towards him and sent out its branches toward him from the beds where it was planted, that he might water it, the, the new eagle might water it. It was planted in good soil beside abundant waters, that it might yield branches and bear fruit and become a splendid vine. So who was the second eagle? Anybody want to take a guess on who the second eagle was? I'm sorry? Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And the story here, if you remember, if, if you will, uh, when Zedekiah, the king of, or king, the prince of Jerusalem, or king, depending on how close you were to him, I suppose, uh, when he felt oppressed by Nebuchadnezzar's rules and everything, things started to change. He decided... Zedekiah decided that he was not going to stay under Nebuchadnezzar's rule, even though he had made a covenant with Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't going to stay under that, and, and he started to reach out towards another, another king who he thought could serve him better. That if he joined forces or uh, got help from the, the pharaoh of Egypt, that with his chariots and horses they could they could defend and and get out from under Nebuchadnezzar's rule. So that's what the picture that we're painting here. This vine started reaching out towards this second eagle. Uh, uh, and they're both described as powerful eagles. Uh, so here's the parable that was set up. Now what's the riddle? <laughs> And if we turn uh, to verses 9 and 10 in chapter 17, it says this, Thus says the Lord, will it thrive? Will this vine thrive, even though it's reaching out to the second eagle? That's the, that's the riddle. Will it, will it thrive? And in answer to that, the revelation to Ezekiel says, Will he not pull up its roots and cut off its fruit? Ah, so fruit is mentioned. Um, the he here 
is referring to the first eagle. Will not Nebuchadnezzar pull up its roots? Will he not take what he had set up, what he had planted, what he had nurtured, what he was growing in Jerusalem, will he not pull it up and cut off everything that he's done? Uh, everything that that Zedekiah had had tried to do and, and any anything that was uh, working. I mean, it was, everything was set up to thrive, uh, yet, yet Zedekiah did not want to live under Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Uh, and neither by great, uh, will he not pull up its roots and cut off its fruit so that it withers, so that its sprouting leaves would wither. And neither by great strength nor by many people can it be raised from its roots again. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to draw up this vine, this king that he set up. And it, through the word of God it says, neither by great strength or by many people can it be raised from its roots again. Here he's predicting that Zedekiah's uh, attempt uh, to get Egypt to come to her aid and support her is going to fail. You know, Egypt was a great power at this time still. Uh, it was in its waning days, but it was still a great power. Behold, though it is planted, will it thrive? Will it not completely wither as soon as the east wind strikes it? Wither on the beds where it grows. What are these east winds? Well, Babylon is to the east of Jerusalem, so that's the picture that we're painting. When, when Nebuchadnezzar is going to come against it, it's not going to be able to stand. So what do these things mean? Uh, You know, again, here in chapter 11 through 15, we get the explanation of, of the parable. And a lot of times when, when the Bible has a parable, it will include an explanation. So the first great eagle here, again, represents the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Lebanon, in our, in our parable, represents Jerusalem. The highest branch of the cedar, <coughs> excuse me, represents Judah's king Jehoiachin and the princes of Jerusalem at the time. And the seeds represent the king's offspring, or Zedekiah. The first eagle, uh, which is Nebuchadnezzar, made a covenant with Zedekiah and put him under an oath. And the first eagle took away the mighty of the land, not only king Jehoiachin, uh, but also other notable men like earlier Daniel and in companions. And he did this in order to keep Zedekiah low, to keep him under his thumb. Uh, so that in, in forcing Zedekiah to keep his covenant, his agreement with Nebuchadnezzar. And the king of Babylon uh, <clears throat> took them to Babylon again, which is called the city of merchants, and I've kind of gone over this, I apologize. The vine stretched out its roots and branches towards the second eagle, which is, which is uh, Egypt, because Zedekiah wanted to get out from 
Zedekiah or Nebuchadnezzar's rule. And here the question is asked. Uh, Will such things prosper? And we talked about this. Uh, and one of the things that, that we understand about covenants, and God keeps his covenants. That's one thing we understand about God. He is going to keep his covenants with Israel. He's going to keep his covenants uh, with his people. Uh, he cannot break his covenants. He puts a very high value on keeping your promises. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, uh, they were met with a, uh, an ensemble of people who came to see them, and they, had, they were dressed in, in torn and, and ragged clothes, worn-out shoes, low on, on supplies. Their bread was moldy. And they said, we've come from a land far off, uh, and we want to make a, a treaty with you. We want to make a covenant with you to be at peace with you. And Israel didn't seek God's help on this, but entered into that agreement with these people, and it turned out they were people that were in the land that they were promised by God. And even though that covenant was obtained by deception, it was still important to God that, hey, you guys made this promise, you made it foolishly, and that you were deceived into making this. But that promise needed to be kept because God puts a very high value on keeping the promises that we make. And Zedekiah here had made a promise to Nebuchadnezzar. And the question is, can he break this covenant and, and still deserve God's favor? And, and I think the answer to that in, in the introduction I made here made it pretty clear you know, this is not something that Zedekiah can do and expect to be favored by God. God expected Zedekiah to be loyal to the covenant that he made and would, would punish him for that. And Zedekiah was surrounded by a lot of favorable conditions for his reign. He was under the protection of the, the most powerful kingdom in that time, at that, in that place. Uh, and he was planted in the illustration that we're given. You know, he was planted in fertile soil with plentiful water. Uh, so he was in a good situation, yet he still sought other things. Uh, and this, this planting by, in fertile soil by, by plentiful waters is an illustration that is common in the Bible as we see uh, in Isaiah 44, verse 4, they'll spring up like among the grass, like poplars by streams of water. Willows by streams of water is another, another phrase. So the, the benevolent attitude that Nebuchadnezzar had towards Zedekiah uh, you know, made it possible for Jerusalem to prosper. However, you know, because of Jerusalem's sins and because of breaking uh, his oath to Nebuchadnezzar, <clears throat> uh, the kingdom of Ju Jerusalem, the kingdom of Judah, wasn't going to prosper. Uh, both Jeremiah 
both the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet of Ezekiel continually uh, did approve, accuse <laughs> Zedekiah of disloyalty. They both pointed him out and, and urged his submission to, to Babylon again. In Jeremiah 37, verses 6 through 10, uh, and also I, uh, in, in this passage in Ezekiel, you know, Zedekiah had favorable conditions in which to rule. He was protected. Uh, but if he had remained faithful to his oath of loyalty to, to Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom of Judah could have continued uh, to prosper as a tributary kingdom, but for God's plan. So if we look at Jeremiah 37, verses 6 through 10, we see in this passage, the, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Thus you are to say to the king of Judah, who, you sent, who sent you to me to inquire of me. And this is referring to Zedekiah. Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come out for your assistance, is going to return to its own land of Egypt. The Chaldeans will also return and fight against this city, and they will capture it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord, Do not deceive yourselves, saying, The Chaldeans will surely go away from us, for they will not go. For even if you had defeated the entire army of Chaldeans who were fighting against you, and there were only wounded men left among them, each man in his tent, they would these people, these Chaldeans, would rise up and burn this city with fire. And continuing in Ezekiel chapter 17, As I live, declares the Lord, surely in the country of the king who put him on the throne, referring to Zedekiah, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke, in Babylon he shall die. Now this promise was, was fulfilled uh, Zedekiah did indeed die in Babylon. And I, we talked the last couple times about the, the things that Zedekiah would be doing here towards the end of his reign during the second siege, that he would sneak out of the city with, with his close army. They would be defeated in the field. Zedekiah would, would see his sons killed in his own sight, and then he would be blinded, taken to to Babylon and, and die there. So this, this prophecy came to pass. And Pharaoh's army did abandon uh, their plan to come and help Jerusalem. They did return. They didn't supply any aid uh, when Zedekiah was besieged by Nebuchadnezzar during that third siege. And you know, again, this is Zedekiah's punishment uh, for breaking his covenant. God promised severe judgment on Zedekiah because he didn't keep his oath, keep his word, and honor the covenant that he made. His fate was sealed, and he would not escape. Continuing on in Ezekiel 17, at verse 19, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, as surely as I live, surely my oath which he despised, despised and my covenant which he broke, I will inflict on his head. 
I will spread my net over him, and he will be caught in my snare. Then I will bring him to Babylon and enter into judgment with him there regarding the unfaithful act which he committed against me. All the choice men and all his troops will fall by the sword, and the survivors will be scattered to every wind, and you know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will perform it. So the net that Zedekiah that was going to be spread over Zedekiah was wide and he would not get rid of it. All the ranking men of the government tried to escape with him when Babylon besieged the city. Uh, They didn't succeed because God had them in his sights. He'll bring him to Babylon. Again, I just talked about this. Uh, You know, You know, when when we make an oath or when Zedekiah made his oath, he made it in the out in the open. It was it was something everybody was aware of. And we make promises. We do it in, in front of others. But more importantly than that, we make our promises and oaths and covenants in front of God. So to break that oath, like the Israelites in the desert, uh if they were to break that covenant, it would reflect badly on God because they were to be a people uh, that that kept their, that their word meant something. You know, the idea that we agree to something uh, has, has become less and less, you know, man's word isn't worth much anymore. You know, we, we require lawyer-reviewed con, uh, contracts for everything that we do. Uh, you know, we look to the civil courts to enforce laws, and, and you know, but God recognizes the value of a man's word. Uh, and when you make your promise, you're making it to God. So when you break that promise, you are, in essence, breaking a promise to God. Uh, <clears throat> and this was what Zedekiah was guilty of and why God's wrath fell upon Zedekiah in particular. Jerusalem was still under a curse because of her sins. You know, we're not going to forget that. Uh, but Zedekiah himself wouldn't be saved for it for this. Uh, you know, in in Zedekiah seventeen twenty through two through twenty four, this last passage uh, is a promise to the nation of Israel. Uh, Thus says the Lord God. I will also take a sprig from the top of the cedar and set it out. I will pluck from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the high mountain of Israel I will plant it, that it may bring forth and bear fruit and become a stately cedar, and birds of every kind will nest under it. And they will nest in its shade of its in the shade of its branches. All of the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I will bring down the high tree, exalt the low tree, dry up the green tree, and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken it, and I will perform it. So, in the midst of all this bad news that that Ezekiel's delivering, there's. There's hope yet for the nation of Israel. Because despite what 
what the eagles are trying to do, what the the deceptive kings are trying to do. God has promised to himself take that young twig from the high cedar. He's going to take the best from the nation of Israel and plant it and nourish it. And he's going to plant it on a high mountain. The high mountain here refers to Zion, the the mountains around Jerusalem. He's going to plant Israel back in its land in his time. And he will make it fruitful and he will bring it to pass. All of these things uh, will happen. Uh, You know, the tender one here, this singular tender branch that God says he will take from, again, what's the cedar represent? The cedar represents the nation of Israel. The, The tender root from the high branch in the earlier picture that we had that took took the king the the high branch the king he took and replanted it in babylon but when in this passage here this is a messianic prophecy as well not just for the nation of israel but this tender root that god's going to take out of the nation of israel uh, refers to jesus christ himself that he would take him out and plant it uh, that he would, through the nation of Israel and the promises he made, uh, deliver this tender one who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. If we look at a few passages, we can see this correlation between this tender root and Jesus. In Isaiah 11, verse 1, Then a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Again, that's a messianic prophecy speaking about Jesus. Isaiah 53, 2, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. And in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David, a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. These are the promises of God to protect the nation of Israel, to restore Israel, to restore the world through that branch, that branch of Jesse. Uh, that tender twig that God himself plucked from the, from the top of the cedar. These things are, have been promised by God, and, and I, I like the, the ending of, of verse 24 here. I am the Lord, and I have spoken it, and I will perform it. God isn't one to break his covenants with his people. His people Israel, as well as, as us, uh, the, the Gentile world, uh, the world beyond Israel, would also be blessed through this tender branch that God is going to plant in Jerusalem. So, you know, we can take comfort uh, when times get difficult, and I think times will be more difficult as time goes on. We see more evidence of that in the news every day. Uh, you know, we, we continually see times where, where the Christian church is being uh, maligned, uh, 
caused to, to fall under more and more regulation, uh, more and more suppression of, of the, the biblical values that God gave us. Uh, yet we're to stand strong, even when times are tough. And we can do that and know and understand that God's with us because he has promised uh, in his writings, in, in his word, uh, that we would, we would be blessed uh, through the difficult times that we have to face. Then we know that God is with us and he's promised to be with us and he has spoken and he will bring it to pass. He will perform those things that he's promised to us. And we can take comfort in that and encourage one another with that promise. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have uh, promised us blessings. You've promised to be with us and give us strength and wisdom and courage to face the challenges that come and come before us. We don't face a siege uh, like the city of Jerusalem is about to face in our, in our study. Uh, but you have warned us that, that difficult times would come uh, before Christ's return. And we just pray for your strength and wisdom that we might see the promises that you have for us in your word that we might understand that you are constant in your commitment to the promises that you've made. You will not fail. You are incapable of failure. So help us to be encouraged by this, to encourage one another. Watch over us all. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.